Well, we are continuing this series, Going Rogue, and uh, we are thinking this weekend about a character, an infamous character called Jezebel. We're looking at some of the bad people, if you will, in the Bible, and hers is a story of manipulation, manipulation. In fact, we were just reflecting yesterday. We planned these series about eight months ahead, and here we are talking about manipulation this Sunday, and on Friday, screw tape letters. It's all about the arch manipulator. It's interesting how these things come together. It's a 3,000-year-old story. Uh, Jezebel is queen of Israel. She is married to King Ahab. It's a time of incredible social injustice. The poor are being oppressed by the rich, and we zero in on an episode where an innocent man called Naboth becomes a victim of manipulation. So 1 Kings 21, let's have a look. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not, Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor. And then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth, has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. It's a story that I've shared before um, about when uh, my wife Kay and I and our two young children, as they were then, five years and two years old, we moved from England to come to live here in America. And coming from England, we had no spatial awareness about the size of the country. You can drive from the south of England to the north in about six hours. And you can drive from west to east in four or five. You know, it's, it's, it, depending on traffic, it's a very small country. So we, we had no sense of just how big America is. 
and we were going to live in Oregon. So we flew into St. Louis. <laughs> now, just to say, we did do that intentionally. We, um, we were going to a conference there, but we flew into St. Louis and we, we, we bought a, a really old car, a Chrysler Newport. Does anyone remember those? Manufactured in 1852, this, this Chrysler gigantic car with a bonnet that stretched in, with, with a hood that stretched into infinity and it did about five gallons to the mile and, 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 I, and I look at the map, here's St. Louis and, and here's Oregon and it's about 10 inches. So I thought, well, we'll just, we'll just drive over there this afternoon. Easy peasy, great. Well, we get in the car, we, we drive, you know, and the kids are like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, I, and we drive for 10 hours and I look at the map and I've covered about an inch. I'm really ticked, everybody. It's like three agonizing days of journeying with some very unhappy meals. Imagine 40 days and 40 nights. Because that's how long Elijah took to run away from Jezebel. He got a death threat. Elijah's a prophet. He gets a death threat from the palace from this woman Jezebel, who was a thoroughly nasty piece of work. The New Bible Dictionary, which is a British commentary, classic British understatement, it says of Jezebel, she was a forceful and domineering personality. That's a bit like saying the atom bomb's quite loud. It's the it's the understatement. She is the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. One commentator describes her as the most wicked woman in the world. That may overstate it. She is the Lady Macbeth of the Bible. She is queen at a time of political success. She's married to Ahab, great builder of cities. 20 years of peace because of the leadership of this couple. But dig deeper and you'll see all kinds of moral tragedies in their lives. And he's a sulky character. One commentator says of Ahab, when he doesn't get his real estate deal, he goes into his room and says, I'm not going to eat. And he cries. And one commentator says he's a world-class wuss. <laughs> don't know what the word wuss means, but I quite like the sound of it. He's a whiny, I can imagine him sort of sitting there sucking his thumb. The king of Israel. And he's married to this woman, Jezebel, and it's not a marriage birthed, at least, in love. Uh, Ahab's father, Omri, struck a deal with the Phoenicians. They were scared of the Syrians, and so they struck this deal, and the fruit of the deal, or the sealing of it, rather, was the marriage between these two. So now Ahab wants some land for his vegetable garden, and he goes to Naboth. Why doesn't Naboth want to make a deal? Well, the reason Naboth doesn't want to make a deal was because this is inherited land. And in the book of Numbers, there is a law about not selling the land of your ancestors, not least because the Jews believe that the land belongs to God. By the way, just as a little side comment, in a sense, we live with the same instruction. That doesn't mean we can't buy or sell, but let's always remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The land, the planet that we dwell upon, we don't own it. We are stewards of it. 
We are to take care of it. That points us to healthy, responsible environmentalism because the planet belongs to God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Naboth is obeying the law of God. It's different for us. We can buy or sell, but it's still ultimately God's. And so Ahab is sulking. Enter the spider, Jezebel. And she's a manipulator. What's manipulation? It's controlling somebody for selfish motives. Please do not think, gentlemen, that because the character that we are looking at today is female, don't fool yourself into thinking, yeah, that, that's, a big, that's a big thing among women, manipulation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Preach it, Jeff, preach it. <laughs> tell her, tell her. She's right here. Don't do that because manipulation is not a female issue. It's a human issue. It's a serious issue. At a macro level, six million Jews perished because of the manipulation expressed in propaganda. And it's dangerous. Dr. George Simon, in his fascinating book about manipulation, it's called In Sheep's Clothing, he describes manipulation as covert aggression. He will get hurt. Now, as I've been preparing this message this week, I've been examining my own heart. How many think that's a pretty good idea for the preacher to respond first? Yeah. I've come to this conclusion. We all manipulate. We all manipulate. The manipulation expressed in that sketch that we just saw, and there's so many different ways we're going to examine that. We all manipulate. The question is, are we aware of it? And for some of us, are we aware that we have become experts at this manipulation? So dive into the bulletin with me. Let's look closer at the story and closer at our own hearts. First of all, questioning our past. Questioning our past. How have we been influenced? What's our normal? What's our normal? Look at what it says about Jezebel because she's a killer. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets. She's a killer. How come she's a killer? Well, let me say this. She was raised by a killer. She comes from Phoenicia. The Phoenicians were known as scholars and poets. The Phoenicians, thousands of years ago, affected what you're doing with your bulletin right now, some of you, because they gave us the alphabet. Before that, things were written mainly pictorially. They gave us the alphabet. So they were poets and academics and scholars, but Jezebel is not renowned for that. Her daddy killed his own brother so that he could take the throne of Phoenicia. That's her upbringing. Sometimes people say, um, yeah, I had a normal childhood. Pretty normal. That's a really interesting statement. What means, what constitutes normal is a question. But it, here's another one. How have we been shaped by our upbringing so that even perhaps unconsciously we say and do things and we're not even aware that that's been shaped in us and we, we just never think about it. We just think that's the way everybody lives. Often, historically here at Timberline, I have been asked to preach on the 4th of July. 
which is always a moment of great joy for me. And uh, the last couple of Fourth of Julys, it's, it's, it's not happened. Mercy has been shown. And people normally say to me, I've talked about this, they say, do you know, do you British people celebrate the 4th of July? <laughs> no. We lost. And people say, you know, do you celebrate Thanksgiving in England? No. Because we'd be being thankful that we got rid of you, and that's kind of rude. So people say, well, don't, don't you have any fireworks? Yes, we do. We have fireworks on November the 5th, Guy Fawkes Day. Who was Guy Fawkes? A few hundred years ago, he decided to put gunpowder beneath the Houses of Parliament and blow the whole thing up. He wanted to, to, to kill everybody, and a spy in his group exposed him. So they caught him, and they sentenced him to death, and we executed him. So now... Every November the 5th, we, we have a family gathering. This is such a thrill for the children. And we have fireworks, and we eat hot dogs and other unhealthy choices. And then, and then we make a life-size effigy. We call it a guy. And we put a mask on the guy that kind of looked like Guy Fawkes. And then the climax of this family evening is that we all gather around the fire and we put Guy on the fire. <laughs> this beautiful family event is a reenactment of an execution. And it's only like five years ago that I suddenly went, what? <laughs> what do we do without thinking about what we do? What have we imbibed in our lives? And it just never occurs to us. We thought everybody lives like that, questioning our past. Secondly, questioning our present. Questioning our present, what culture do we create around us? What culture do we create around us? Look at what it says about Jezebel. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. You see, we are all influencers. You don't have to stand up here to be an influencer. J.R. Miller says there have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand the mysterious thing we call influence, yet every one of us continually exerts influence to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, to wound, to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. Do we influence people around us negatively? Before I became a Christian, and I mentioned some of my history last weekend, my life was pretty much mess. And uh, I had a group of friends, high school friends, and we'd been getting together for annual reunions in London. And they said to me, they said, Jeff, you were a very naughty boy. They said, we got in trouble because you came up with ideas and we followed you. They said, we started smoking because you started smoking. And they said, when you used to cuss, it was kind of funny the way you cussed. And so we all started cussing. We all followed you. You were really naughty. And I, I know, I can see it in your eyes. You're thinking, 
as you look at me now, this is not possible. I mean, genuinely, just to be clear, I told this story last night, and my wife said, you didn't make it clear that things have changed. (laughs) But I didn't know it, but I was a leader back then creating a culture around me. Positively, we can create a culture. The book of Hebrews says, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The word for spur there is the same word as that thing that I could attach while horse riding to these rather fine pair of cowboy boots. I'm not crazy about horse riding. They don't have brakes or a steering wheel. But if I was, I could just... And the Bible says, think about how you can positively encourage each other. Yesterday morning... I was working on this message, finishing off from the week, and uh, my phone rang, and it was my friend Mark. He said, hi, Jeff. He said, I'm not calling for anything in particular. How's it going? I said, fine. I said, I've got a house full of actors. It's going pretty good. And uh, actually, it's going very good. And uh, I said, he said, "Uh, ready for the weekend? I said, yeah, getting there. And he said, "Uh, can I pray for you? I said, sure. And he prayed, and cost him about 10 minutes and I got off the phone my heart lightened and lifted spurred me on what culture do we create what happens when people hang out with us Jezebel urged him on to evil number three there are many weapons that can be used to manipulate many weapons first of all threat which creates fear look at this Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. If you look at me for a moment, please, commentators believe that Jezebel would have taken a self-imprecatory oath by running a finger across her throat. In other words, may I die if I don't kill you. And notice she sent a messenger, not an assassin. She could have sent an assassin, but instead she sent a messenger because fear can be as devastating. You don't need sometimes to kill anybody if you just threaten them. And then there's mockery and sarcasm with her husband. She says to her husband, are you, are you the king of Israel or not? And if you study her story, even just before her death, she was sarcastic to the guy who came to bring judgment to her. She's sarcastic. Now, let me just say that in England, my friends would agree, we like friendly, sarcastic banter. We like that. Um, and and um, sometimes my American friends come to England and they get around us and they go, oh, don't, don't you people like each other? <laughs> no, it's because we like each other that we have friendly banter, yeah? And if we really like you, we won't be polite to you, we'll banter more. And if you go to Ireland, they take it to another level. <laughs> I mean, if they, I, 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 and it's just incredible. So, so I go to Ireland and let me tell you, they really, really, really like me there. <laughs> Sarcasm, manipulation, and then there's flattery. Flattery, you can manipulate by being nice. Call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor. You know, some people, they're, they're just so consistently nice. 
And you don't dare mess that up by saying something that would possibly wipe the smile off their face because they're just so utterly lovely, lovely, lovely. By the way, when we flatter, we devalue the currency of encouragement. When everything is awesome, nothing is awesome. And then there's false representation. She says, seat two scoundrels across from him. So she sets up witnesses. But I want you to notice something else. She signs letters in the king's name. She represents him without permission. I've seen that as a pastor. When I was a a young church planting pastor, we had a lady in our church who had a very finely honed gift of offendedness. And, and she operated in that gift very consistently. And one time she came to me, she said, Pastor Jeff, I've just got to tell you, she said, everyone's leaving the church. I said, oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. I said, tell me a bit more. She said, well, lots of people are leaving the church. I said, oh, man, that's so disappointing. I, maybe I could talk with them. Uh, who are they? And she said, two or three people are leaving the church. I said, which two or three? And she said, Pastor Jeff, I am leaving the church. And she never followed through on that promise, but stayed to share her gift. (laughs) See what she's doing? Falsely representing others. Everybody says, everybody. Then there's lies. They accuse him of cursing God and the king. Ironic, actually, because he wanted to honor God, he wouldn't sell the land. So she lies about him and says the exact opposite of what he did. She's pious with it as well, piety. There's a day of fasting that she calls. And then she says, accuse him of cursing God. Didn't do anything of the sort, but she's being pious. I've met Christians like that. They drag God into their complaining. Well, I didn't like that song, so I'm pretty sure that God doesn't like it either. And then disposing of people, the town leaders then went, then sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. And look, I, I know we don't go around killing people, but we can go around killing people. You can kill their reputation with gossip. And I, I'm looking around here, you know, this lovely crowd, and I know no one here gossips. I know that. No, of course not. We share. <laughs> We've been using these weapons. Well, the last thing, number four, questioning our future. What will our legacy be? Questioning our future. What will our legacy be? Look at this. Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground in the plot at Jezreel so that no one will be able to say this is Jezebel. Did you know that Jezebel went through a name change? Her name originally was Jezebel, B-U-L. She was named after her occult god, Baal. B-A-A-L, but her name represented her pagan religion. The occultic priests would gather, and that would be their prayer. Where is Baal? Where is Baal? So daddy named Jezebel after that practice. But then Elijah most likely renamed her 
And the Bible's pretty graphic sometimes in a way that we might even be uncomfortable with. So like when Elijah calls down fire on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal can't do the same thing, Elijah in the Hebrew actually says, is your God in the bathroom? It's kind of blunt. But then Elijah changes her name to Jezebel, Jezebel, B-E-L, which means not where is the God, but it means where is the dung. Yeah. So let me put it like this, because the Bible's blunt about this. Her name was changed from where is the God to where is the poop. Some of you are looking at me right now somewhat nervously and you're saying, did Pastor Jeff just say poop? Did he say that on the Sunday morning? Did he say poop? Did he say poop? Yes, he did. Yes, yes. Poop, yes. It comes from the Greek word, poopousin. Nah, it doesn't. I'm messing with you. Some of you were writing that down. You were going, ooh, fascinating. <laughs> Her name was changed from something that was supposed to be spiritual, even though it was occultic, to where is the dung, and her name is forever associated negatively. What's our legacy? What's our legacy? There's a picture I'd like to show you. This is from the area where the palace was. This is from Jezebel's time. It's a woman looking out at a window. We don't know whether that was created before this event or after it. She looked out of a window. They came and threw her out of that window, and she died. What's our, our legacy? I've been thinking over the last 24 hours about my dad's legacy. My dad passed away in 1995, so it's, what's that, 23 years ago now. Um, I remember when I was three, I've got this memory of him dancing with me. He picked me up and we danced around the room. And I can remember he pushed my, he just gently nudged my head into his shoulder. And I can still feel that hand. Still feel that hand of love about two years before he died he had a stroke which robbed him completely of the ability to speak he couldn't talk he couldn't say anything just gobbledygook came out some of you have walked this pathway with a loved one it's horrible he was trapped in his own head my dad loved to talk and now just and he'd get frustrated After my dad became a Christian here in America, I will always be grateful for America and my friends here because it was here that he finally surrendered to Jesus. He became more tender and we weren't an I love you, I love you family growing up, but he started to try and express his love. One night I'm staying at my parents' home I'm by myself, Kay is not with me. I'm in bed, I'm tucked in bed, and suddenly. And I said, who is it? And this gobbledygook response showed me it was my dad. And I said, come in, dad. But I'm, I'm thinking, what, what could he want? We can't talk. 
So he came in and he looked at me. I'm all tucked up in bed and he knelt down beside the bed and he smiled at me and he cast aside a stray hair on my forehead and then he took the blankets and the sheets and he tucked me in. He tucked me in. And I'm, 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 at this point, I'm a 40-year-old man with kids and a mortgage. And he's tucking me in. And then he smiled and he kissed me on the cheek. And he left. Legacy. That's the legacy. And when he was dying, I stood at his bedside and I knew he had minutes or maybe an hour left. My mum stepped outside the room and I said, Dad, I'm going to return the favor. And I took the blankets and the sheets and I tucked him in. And I said, you're safe. I said, Dad, do you remember in America when you gave your life to Jesus? <laughs> Are you still trusting him, Dad? <laughs> I said, well, you can go then. Get out of here. Go see him. And about an hour later, he did. Legacy! What's our legacy going to be? Let's pray. It's a strange story that we gather around this weekend, Father. A story of manipulation. Show us how we do that. Show us when we're maneuvering, when we're pressurizing for self. We want our legacy to be beautiful. We don't want our name to be changed to something negative. Legacy. Show us where we've been shaped by our history in ways that we're not even conscious of. Alert us. Enable us to be people who spur each other on. And when the weapons are set before us, fear, mockery, sarcasm, flattery, lies, piety, false representation, when the weapons are available and we're tempted to reach for them, help us. Just as our heads are bowed, and I realize that for some, this next statement brings some pain because of bereavement or because of breakdown in a marriage. And I'm very sensitive to that. But if you're here today with your spouse, you don't have to do this, but I invite you to just take a moment to take their hand, please. And just ask God to help you both to believe the best. It might be that this moment of a hand being held will lead to conversation.
and reflection on how you navigate life together that it might be healthier. So Lord, we call upon you for your help and we thank you that you will do it as we call. We give you thanks in Jesus' name and everyone said.